Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, here we are as we enter into our second of three weeks, uh, hearing from the eighth chapter of St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans. And I'd say pound for pound, this chapter is the most important chapter in the Bible. Now, we preachers are prone to hyperbolic statements like that, but uh, it tends to grab your attention. But in all seriousness, it's true. I I think this is like the one place I would camp out. If I was going to spend three weeks on one passage, or if I'm just having a terrible day, this is the one place I know I'm going to go and hear grace. As we heard last week in the first verse of this chapter, uh, St. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I'd say that this week's text and next week's as well continues uh, this this grace bomb that Paul drops on us, this, this theme of grace, uh, this extreme goodness and favor that God has towards us. And today I want to talk about really two things. Uh, one is this continued relationship between life according to the flesh and life uh, according to the Spirit. And then secondly, um, this grand mystery that God has chosen to adopt us and what that means for us. So on that first, uh, first set of related points, our text today picks up again the opposing ideas of living according to the flesh or living by the Spirit. And now here, we don't have to really be concerned with rejecting our human bodies. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying our hands and feet and toes are sinful as such. Uh, what he's saying, though, uh, well, I mean, I should say, after all, Jesus became incarnate. He wasn't sinful. I mean, the, the flesh, in that sense, is not sinful. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not a, a Platonist. He's not talking about our biological flesh. He's using flesh as a metaphor uh, to capture what it is uh, to be a sinner, what our natural proclivities are, what our natural inclination is, what our natural orientation is, that orientation of selfishness, of unbelief, of vengefulness, of contempt, of fear. Uh, You fill in the blank. Um, Flesh is sort of a junk drawer term. It catches all these things uh, that, that are what we are naturally what we're naturally bent towards. The flesh is uh, it's definitely that part of us which we try and keep hidden. Well, most of us try and keep hidden. Some of you are not doing a good job. Um, I'm kidding. We try and keep the flesh hidden, um, but we don't do such a great job. We, we put it out there. But also, uh, the flesh is not just that. It's also, so yes, it's the blatant rebelliousness or debauchery or the things that we call sin. Uh, but it's also, too, a second thing. It's far worse. It's actually where most of us exist. We suppress our flesh. We suppress and micromanage ourselves so that we can fool others that we're righteous. We can fool others to think that we are worthy, that we're good, that we're competent, that we're acceptable. So both of these types of fleshly lies, whether it's licentiousness and just kind of open sin, you might say, versus uh, sort of this pious, hidden, uh, masked uh, sinner, they're both flip sides of the same coin. They're both uh, the flesh. And Paul has spent many chapters here in Romans and throughout his writings uh, really describing those two. The, the way of the Gentile is the way of licentiousness and the way of uh, legalism is the Pharisee. But they're both flesh. They're both flesh. And we participate in both. And quite frankly, they're not ways of life. They're ways of death. They are killing us. Uh, they're sending us to an early grave, whether we're faking it or not. So instead, though, we should remember that the Spirit of God that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, He dwells in us, and He puts to death our fleshliness, those worst parts and those best parts. And, and I do say both. You see, our fleshliness isn't simply that obvious, ugly part that we like to keep hidden and filtered. Our fleshliness is also uh, our best features, too, the things that we put forward as our best. 
uh, our controlled so-called good behavior is just as fleshly and sinful as the rest of us because the whole thing is centered on self-preservation and self-gain. I don't think I'm convincing anyone of anything here, but just think for a moment about your own life. Our best foot forward, it may be the best that we have to offer, uh, but we're still stuck in the muck and mire of our sin. And it's not fooling God, and it's really not fooling anybody else. So we must remember that the Spirit is putting these things to death, the, the good and the bad and the ugly, as Jake said a few weeks ago. And thank God for that. Thank God he's putting even our best parts to death too, because they're not salvageable. And in that death, we're drawn into new life of Christ. In our lowest places, uh, Christ encounters us. So although we're surrounded by death, although we participate in it and we um, activate it, uh, we have a great confidence and a great joy that if we walk by faith in the Spirit, these things are put to death, whether empirically they would seem that way or not. And that's another thing, too. We've, we've been on this theme lately of hearing and not seeing, hearing the Word of God and not necessarily believing and trusting what our empirical evidence seems to suggest. I'm reminded, you know, this whole theme of, of death and life and life in the midst of death, I'm reminding of a poem that I read recently by Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry wrote these poems called Sabbath poems. Every Sunday morning he would get up early and walk in the wilderness and he would kind of observe uh, what was going on out there. And I think this one really captures, this is the last, last stanza of a poem. He says, ruin is in place here. The dead leaves rotting on the ground. The live leaves in the air are gathered in a single dance that turns them round and round. The fox cub trots, his almost pathless path, as silent as his absence. These passings resurrect a joy without defect, the life that steps and sings in ways of death. And what he's talking about there, the life that steps and sings in ways of death, is exactly what St. Paul is talking about. A life lived in the Spirit, even in the midst of our, our dying flesh, our dying humanity, our dying sinfulness. And so this life that the Spirit breaks into us and it lifts us up out of ourselves. It lifts us out of the things that consume us and that are killing us. It lifts us into something much bigger and much more important than anything we think we have going on here. So you may think the biggest thing going on in your life right now is your overwhelming credit card debt. Or you may think the biggest thing in your life right now is your lousy job performance or your failing business. You may think the biggest thing in your life right now is your failing marriage. You may think the biggest, li- the biggest thing going on in your life right now is your crippling loneliness or your estrangement from your parents or whatever it is for you. We all go through trials and stuff, but you may think that's the biggest thing, but I'm telling you, it's not the biggest thing. It feels like it, but it's not. The biggest thing going on in your life right now is that you are an adopted son or daughter of God. Yes, your adoption. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about adoption. That is the biggest thing you have going on. I don't want to trivialize our trials and our sufferings. But as St. Paul says here, all the sufferings that we experience in this life, they pale in comparison to the glory of being adopted by God. He goes on to say, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We've been adopted by God, and we're sharing in the inheritance and the benefits of Christ. You see, the work of Christ did not end on the cross. It didn't end in the empty tomb. It didn't end when he ascended to heaven. His work goes on. I told St. George's earlier, I used to be involved in a, a, a youth, I was a youth minister for five years in Birmingham, and we had a t-shirt that our, our youth uh, department would wear, and it said WHJD on the back. Do you remember those bracelets, WWJD? Of course you do. 
if you don't, just Google it. Um, they're really embarrassing to think about now. I wore them probably for, I don't know, second and third grade. And the whole idea with WWJD was what would Jesus do? And this is low-hanging fruit here. I mean, this is like, who are we attacking here? I'm not sure. But um, the idea was we, if we just do the right thing, we do what we think Jesus would do, we're kind of legalizing the faith. Well, our, our shirts were designed to be sort of a polemic against that. What has Jesus done? WHJD. So we wanted to emphasize his, his finished work. And I, I still agree with that, and I think that's true. It was a little bit like, uh, you know, a little bit of a firecracker to do that. I think all the other youth groups in town think we were poking fun at them. But I think we can go a step further. Not only what has Jesus done, but what is Jesus doing? His work is not finished. He is still working on your behalf, praying and interceding at the right hand of God for you even now. And that's where we enter in. That's where we're adopted. That's the claim to inheritance that we have. Not by our own right. We're invited in. But the Son of God interceding at the Father's right hand, that's what we've been adopted into where he now continues to give us his grace as the Son of God, interceding and praying for us. And because of that, we have access to God. We can finally pray, as we will in a minute, our Father, who art in heaven. We can pray that and it actually makes sense. It's not an abstract deity out there, but it's our, our loving Father we've brought into that relationship that Jesus shares in. Because this shapes the way we pray. It shapes the way that we worship. It shapes the way that we live our lives. Prayer doesn't make sense outside of adoption. We can't access God without being adopted. Instead, we are adopted heirs with Christ who share in all of his benefits. Adoption is a very interesting, it's really strong image of who we are in God uh, by Christ. Adoption is a beautiful, beautiful thing because it comes at a great risk. I had a seminary professor in Birmingham named Gerald Bray. Uh, He had this quote here, or this passage about adoption. I want to share it with you. He says, the image of adoption is a particularly well-chosen one because it illustrates in a way that nothing else can the nature of our relationship with God and Christ. An adopted child is not the natural offspring of his adopted parents, but neither is his presence in the household an accident. His parents have deliberately chosen him and made him a member of their family by an act of will that is sealed in love and self-sacrifice. There is nothing in the child that puts these parents under any obligation to accept him. And there may be any number of considerations that would advise against it. For example, the child might be handicapped, which might make caring for him more difficult. He might be of a different race, which would draw attention to the fact that he is adopted and could cause problems later in life. His birth parents might not be reconciled to losing their child and might try to reclaim him at some future point. The child himself might rebel against his adopted parents when he finds out about them and actively seek out his original birth parents with serious consequences for the families involved. So what's being described here is what can really be the messiness of adoption, the things that we're stepping into. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also a very risky thing. Well, friends, God has taken that risk. He's taken that risk to call us his own. He's taken that risk to get his hands dirty and to get involved with us. He's taken a risk to give us his name and to give us his love, and that love is no accident. I'd like to close with a story here. Uh, It's about adoption. And this will sort of sum up all that I'm talking about. We have all this baggage, right, that we talked about earlier with our our fleshliness, and yet God still chooses to adopt us. There was a woman named Susan who was sharing uh, in her small group. She was sharing about her past and how she was abandoned as a young child, a baby, And uh, she describes, you know, a time when she was adopted by uh, her adopted parents. And it was just the greatest thing ever. You know, they loved her, and they were taking her home, and they had all these plans for her. 
So she went to bed the first night and woke up the next morning only to find her suitcase outside in the hall. In other words, you're out of here. We don't really love you. We don't really want you. She shared that this had happened some 10 or 12 times even before she was the age of 8. Being passed on, on and on. Just somebody else's baggage to, to get rid of. Somebody else's rubbish. So the small group is hearing all this and they, they start to cry and they, they want to console her. And Susan interrupts. She says, don't cry over me. You see, I needed my past. It brought me to God. I needed my past. It brought me to God. Friends, we have uh, an earthly relationship, or Susan has an earthly relationship that failed her. Many earthly relationships failed her. Earth, earthly parents did her no good. Some of us have earthly parents that are no good. Some of us have great parents too. But we all inherit a family that we didn't choose, sometimes for good, but oftentimes for not so good. But friends, even though our earthly relationships fail us, our heavenly Father will never fail us, nor forsake us. He's adopted us, he's given us his name in our baptism, and he's called us his own. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And for that, we can be thankful. It changes the way that we live, it changes the way that we move, it changes the way that we pray. We're being adopted is about being found, and we've been found by a loving God in Christ, who hears us and is pleased in us when we cry out to him, Abba, Father. For that, we are thankful. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.